I want for Christmas, all I want for Christmas. And we are so excited to be continuing in this four week series. And so we have two more weeks and I want to encourage you and invite you to join us over the next two weeks as we continue to unpack all I want for Christmas. And I want to ask this morning, um, are you, and you don't have to answer out loud necessarily, but if you'd like to, you can, um, are you enjoying the Christmas season so far? Are you really enjoying the meals, the get-togethers? Maybe you're like, well, we haven't had a whole lot of that yet. Are you excited for those things? Or when you think about family dinners with extended family, it's not a welcoming thought. And you think, oh, no, cousin so-and-so is going to be there. And they're probably, yeah, they're probably going to do this. And it's, or do we get that, is it going to get here in time fear? You know what I'm talking about? That is it going to get here in time fear? You know, you order it a little later than you probably should have. And you start praying, Lord, I know that you are a great and mighty God that could bend time and space. So could you just magically transport that Amazon van from the warehouse to my front door and just break all laws of physics? That would be great. Especially this last Tuesday, uh, from what I heard, Amazon had some issues, a little bit of a shutdown or something like that with some of its services. And so I don't know if that increased your fear. Uh, if you were like, man, we're doing pretty good and that happened. You're like, oh no, it's not going to get here. I want to encourage you. We can all feel that weight of that. And as we've said in the last couple of weeks, even last week, there is zero wrong with getting a gift with thoughts, intent, that you really believe will be an encouragement, a blessing, that will bring a smile to the face of a loved one. There is nothing wrong with searching and putting work into trying to find that perfect gift. And I I know we all do that at times. I, I pray our motivation is to be a blessing and encouragement to that person, not because we just want a gift ourselves. Because uh, sometimes we do that, right? We think, well, if they're going to get me a gift, I got to get them a gift. And then you try to figure out, are they going to get me an expensive gift? Because then I got to get them an expensive gift. But if they're getting me a cheap gift, I'll just get them a cheap gift. And we can do this. We, Christmas can fall into this kind of thinking. And I think when we allow that to happen, it robs us of our very joy of the season. And so I want to ask you, are you enjoying the dinners, the get-togethers, the things that are going into the season? Are you enjoying putting up the decorations? Now, I know when you pull the Christmas lights out, that's not always the most enjoyable thing. I've still yet to figure out what happens to a bin of Christmas lights when you put it away. What happens in those 11 months that all of a sudden now it's one giant ball of Christmas lights? And you know, when you put them away, you put them away, neat and organized. I don't know what happens in that bin for 11 months, but it's, it's demonic what happens in there. It's crazy. We had an experience this time. We have some icicle lights on a house that we just moved into this last year. And so I went very minimal with the lights only because half the strands weren't working. And so what do you do? You plug them in before you get up on the, on the ladder, right? Before you put them on the house, you check them. And so years passed, I just throw them up there and then half of them don't work. And I, I should have checked these on the ground. So I, using wisdom, plugged them in on the ground. All of them worked. Hung the icicle lights. Plugged in the extension cord, hit the little switch, whole section out. For two weeks, they stayed out on my house until just the other day. Because I said, I ain't getting the ladder out again. I done did that. I ain't doing it that quick. We can get wrapped up in all the, the stress of the season. But I want to encourage you, just determine now you're not going to let those things get you off course and get your joy off track. You're going to stay the course and you're going to keep your mind focused on what the Lord would have you to have your mind focused on this Christmas season. If I can encourage you, just breathe. Maybe you're here and you're going to, you're going to 
host Christmas for the first time for your family. And maybe if you're here and you're preparing the majority of the food or you got to get the house ready or whatever, and there's a little bit of nervousness, like, what are they going to think about this? And this project isn't done and that project isn't done. Breathe. They're not coming to see your house. They're coming to see you. And so instead of putting all that weight and pressure on yourself with things that they don't even care about, and by the way, if they do care about it, that's not your problem, that's theirs. So just sit down to the table, laugh, have joy, enjoy the moment. Because here's the reality. We're going to blink and all the decorations are coming down. It's going to be January. It's going to be bitter cold and snow because pure Michigan. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's going to be bitter cold January, February, right? Snow on the roads, ice on the roads. You're going to be just driving to work just 10 miles an hour. I hate this state. (laughs) So let's do this. Before we get there, let's take time this month. And let's just enjoy every possible aspect of the season. And maybe if we learn to enjoy a season like this where we're supposed to be joyful, when we get to January, maybe we'll have conditioned ourselves to be thankful joyful followers of Christ. And now when we're driving 10 mile an hour down the road, we're not going to be, I hate this stinking state. Man, we're going to be praising God for the job that we're driving to. And we're going to be praising God for the provision that it provides for our family. We're going to be praising God for the fact that we can enjoy the changing of seasons. I, I don't know what it's going to be for you. But if we'll condition ourselves and think how we should think, we don't have to be miserable. That's not a choice that's forced upon you. That's a choice we make. It's amazing. Every, every day when my kids were young, I have a, a 14-year-old and a 10-year-old. And I remember when my 10-year-old was in like first grade, he just did not like school. First grade. First grade. I'm, I'd be driving him to school. Hey, bud, I hope you have a great day. Nope. What you mean, nope? He would say, no, I'm not going to have a good day. Why not? Well, because I hate school. Just like that. There was no like emotion. No, no, it just, I hate school. And I would always tell them this. And it's amazing how God uses children to teach us things. And that's why I love seeing the kids up here. That's why I love watching them praise the Lord. Because in the innocence of a child, we learn the simplicity of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, you know, I used to tell them every day, I would say, hey, listen, bud, you decide the day you're going to have. No one decides that for you. If you have a bad day, that's not because somebody made you have a bad day. You chose to have a bad day. And it's amazing because I told him that for a long time. Every now and then it still comes out and he's like, oh, okay, dad, whatever. Preacher's kids, they hear it here, they hear it at home, they hear it everywhere. But it was, it was only after a long period of time that it dawned on me when I was going through a day and I was feeling like, oh, this is this and this is that. And I'm feeling down. And it was almost as the Lord was like bringing back to me what I literally said that morning to my son. So do you say it because you want him to live that way or do you say it because you really believe it and you think you should live this way too? And so as we approach this season, as we get deeper into Christmas, as we kind of see what's going on, as we've said before, everybody loves Christmas. Everybody loves Christmas, as long as you don't define the Christ of Christmas. And so what we're going to do this morning and what we did last week, we're going to continue to unpack the Christ of Christmas. We're going to define what it is that we celebrate this holiday season. You see, whether the Amazon package arrives in time or not, 
whether the dinner goes flawless or not, whether the, the ham is, is cooked perfectly or whether it's just brutalized in the oven, whatever happens, God is with us. And because God is with us, we can have joy. We can have an amazing sense of peace. You see, because God is with us, we have a peace delivered. A peace delivered. The Amazon package may not be delivered in time, but the peace that you really long for, that you really need, has already been made available and delivered through Christ. Peace is one of the most sought after and yet elusive things for so many of us. And so many of us pursue peace. And we try to find it in really strange ways. We think, if I could just have financial security, then I'll be at peace. If I could just get my family to where it's that picture-perfect family, then I'll have peace. If I can just get that promotion, then I'll have peace. If I could just get that guy, or if I could just get that girl, if I could get him to say yes, or her to say yes. Maybe for some woman here, it's if I could just get him to ask me to marry him. Then, then, oh, then I'll have peace. When I have children, then I'll have peace. I'm going to just let that hang out there for a minute. When I get that house, when I finally get that car, when I finally have and fill in the blank, then, oh, then I'll be at peace. Listen, if you're pursuing those things in an effort to gain peace, you will always be left wanting. But if you realize in the person of Jesus Christ through salvation received only by faith through grace to repent of my sins and receive the gift of salvation, only then am I actually offered, given, and can receive a peace that goes beyond understanding. And it's amazing. You could be a follower of Christ with the peace of Christ residing within you, lose your job. And it'd be a difficulty. It'd be a a trial. It's not something you're excited about or necessarily happy about, but you have a peace. And people around you are like, why are you not freaking out? You just lost your job. And a follower of Christ who is allowing the Spirit of God to lead, guide, and direct them will say to them, yeah, it's not what I wanted. But man, my God is big enough. He's got a purpose and a plan in this. He'll take care of me. That doesn't mean we sit on our hands, Right? doesn't mean we don't get out and get a job and look for work and do what we're called to do, which is to provide. But we don't stress about it. Why? Because worry and stress only reveal areas you're not trusting God in. What you're worried about and what you're fearful of is an area in your life that you have not fully surrendered to God in trust. I could live every day fearful for my children that something's going to happen to them. Or I can realize... Man, God loves my children more than I ever could. God is with my children. They are followers of Christ. And if something was ever to happen to them, and I pray nothing will, but if something ever happens to them, then I know they're not lost. They're with their Savior. See, I don't worry about that. Now, do we take cautions and and use wisdom? Of course. But I don't live in fear every day like I hope my children are okay. No, I pray, God, they're yours. You watch over them. We use wisdom and we use caution, of course, and we we try to teach them wisdom to make wise choices. But those areas in our lives, your finances, your health, your family, whatever it is, man, you can have a peace that passes all understanding. Let's jump into 
our text this morning. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. If you're using one of the Bibles provided, or if you haven't realized there are some Bibles in the seats, there are some hardcover Bibles that are provided to you. If you would like to turn there with us, you can. And if you're using one of those Bibles, just turn to page 716. So if you're using one of the Bibles provided, you can turn to page 716. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke 2 and verse 14. So the gospel of Luke chapter 2. This is the familiar story. One of, I should say, the familiar stories of the birth of Christ. We're really just going to focus in on one verse this morning. Next week, we're going to focus on another verse in this very same passage. And then in our last week, we're going to unpack John 3.16 and spend some time there. And so this morning, Luke chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, glory to God in the highest. So let's just stop there for a moment. Glory to God in the highest. You know what that means? He is above everything. Therefore, the glory we give him should be above everything. He is not a savior we relegate to one or two holidays a year. Well, Jesus, you get Christmas and Easter, but the rest is mine. Every other day is mine. No, when we say glory to God in the highest, he is worthy of all praise. He is worthy of all glory. We exist to glorify him, not glorify self. And again, when we think about that, man, he is an amazing God. Every single day we get to celebrate the coming of Christ. We don't have to wait till December 25th. We can celebrate him every single day and give him glory in the highest goes on to say this and on earth peace goodwill towards men now we're going to unpack that a little bit but let's pray and ask god to affirm these things and i know pastor greg prayed and all of that but i want to pray and ask god to affirm these words in our hearts and minds father everything we do lord is to glorify you uh, these children that came and worshiped before us lord that led us in worship this is not just entertainment or a performance this is worship. And they did that to glorify you, and I praise you for them. Lord, it's so refreshing to see young people just loving you and praising you. Father, as we get into your word this morning, I pray that you would just open our hearts and minds to what you have for us. Help us to see our very lives as an expression of ways to glorify you. Lord, in everything we do, for whatsoever we eat or drink, or whatsoever we do, may it glorify, bring glory and praise to you. And so, Lord, I pray that would not stop, especially this Christmas season. As we buy a gift and wrap the gift and give that gift, as we receive gifts, Lord, I pray that we would do them all as a way of glorifying you. Because you gave the greatest gift, the gift of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And anyone, Lord, who receives your gift of salvation by faith not by religious good works, not by going to church, not by, quote, being a good person, but by simple faith responding to your initiative, to your grace, that, Lord Jesus, you died on that cross, were buried and rose again. And anyone who places their faith and trust in you for the repentance, for the remission, the turning from sin, seeking forgiveness for all sin that we've committed, which we've all been guilty of, we can be granted eternal life. And with that, peace. And so, Father, thank you for this. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
when we read that phrase in Luke chapter 2 and verse 14. And on earth, peace. We honestly wonder how that could ever be true. How is it that could ever be true in the world we live in today and the world we know today? In our day and age, there is chaos and hatred swirling around. How could there ever be full and true peace? Then the question we might ask ourselves is, who has this offer of peace granted to them? How do you and I receive this peace that we long for, that's so elusive, and yet we all desire in our lives? The phrase in the King James translated, goodwill towards men, which is at the end of verse 14, can also be translated, among men of goodwill. Among men of goodwill. Basically, these are men or women who are pleasing to God, objects of his goodwill and pleasure. So this group that receive this peace are men or women who are objects of his goodwill and pleasure, him being God, the Father. This invitation of peace is offered to all who would receive. However, unfortunately, not all will receive and experience this peace. The truth is, not all men are men who are pleasing to God. The truth is, we do not please God in our own efforts. You cannot please God by being a good person or just by being a churchgoer. The Bible actually says, as we're around this season of gifts and gift giving, that if I was to collect the very best, righteous, holiest, purest five minutes of my life, say I live to be 80, 85 years old, and in my entire life, apart from Christ, I collect the very best of the best of the best of good works. I mean, it's, it's helping someone across the street. It's giving to the poor. It's, it's doing something that was sacrificial. And I put all of that in a box. And I wrap it up beautifully, which means I have somebody else wrap it because I can't wrap gifts. So I pay the extra five or ten dollars to get it wrapped for me. And I bring it before God. I'm before God's throne. And the angels, tens upon tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of angels are singing and praising, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And his voice thunders, the Bible says, from the throne of God. And lightnings flash. And I come before him in my pride and in my arrogance. And I set this gift before him. And I say, here you go, God. It's the best of the best. And I know it's good enough. And in the throne room of God, everything hushes. The angels cease their praise and God reaches down and opens that gift. And the Bible says that as soon as he opens that gift, the very righteous deeds that I think I've done are as filthy rags before him. The literal translation of that text in the Old Testament says the very smell of that offering, because think of it as offering up something to him, a burnt offering or incense offering, as they did in the Old Testament. The very smell of that offering makes him want to vomit, is the literal translation of what the Bible says. You see, when I come before God in my pride and in my arrogance, offering this righteous gift, he looks at that and says, this disgusts me. Because we are fallen creatures who are incapable of doing anything pleasing to God apart from the works of Jesus Christ. You see, the Bible says the only way I'm an object of his good pleasure, of his will, is by receiving the gift of salvation through Christ. In that moment, 
I become a son and daughter of God. We talked about this last week. If you missed it, you can check it out online. You become adopted into the family of God. And now, because of Christ, you are a object of his goodwill and pleasure. And because of that, receiving the gift of salvation, you receive with it his peace. His peace. You see, because of the coming of Christ, that not so silent night, we have received an offer of peace with God. Peace with God. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 5. We're going to go to another text. Romans chapter 5. Again, in the Bibles provided, that would be page 794. Page 794. Romans chapter 5. We have received an offer of peace with God. We don't have time to turn there, but I'm going to encourage you, if you're taking notes, to jot down another reference that you can study on your own and go to later. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. So jot that one down for notes. We're going to go to Romans chapter 5, verse 1, and read a, a very simple but yet powerful truth we find in God's word. So Romans, the book of Romans, was written by the apostle Paul who is writing to the church at Rome, and he's encouraging them with this amazing letter. The book of Romans was not a book in its original form. It was a letter written to believers in the church and to the church as a whole. He says this in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, and there's our word, peace with God. Now, how do we have that peace with God? Well, Paul tells us, through our Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have peace with God because of me. I have peace with God because of Christ. You see, our position has changed. We spoke on this last week. We were moved from outside the body of Christ, merely a servant trying to get in, to a son or a daughter in Christ. Our position has changed, not just from son and daughter or not from just slave or servant to son or daughter, but our position has changed from guilty to innocent before our God. You see, in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul, again, spent the first three chapters of the letter or the book explaining that the entire world was guilty before God. Now, we don't like to think this way. We like to think, well, there's good people and bad people, and some people are worse than others. And if you ask somebody, who do you really think deserves punishment from God, eternal judgment and condemnation, an eternity in a place called hell, who do you think that would be? And if you ask the average person, they would tell you, well, people like Hitler, right? These, these, these global, historically evil individuals, well, they deserve bad things. But then they think of themselves and they say, well, I'm not really a bad person. I'm not really done anything really bad. I mean, I might have lied a little bit here or there. I probably wasn't super honest over there. I mean, I kind of did this or this, but I mean, I've never killed anyone. I've never done anything really, really bad. Well, we touched on that last week, right? What does the Bible say? If you offend in one area of the law, you've offended in all areas. Jesus in the New Testament says, you know, the law says, don't kill, don't commit murder. And someone may say, well, I've never committed murder. And Jesus says, well, if you have hatred in your heart towards a brother, you've committed murder against them. The Bible says, the law says, thou shalt not commit adultery. Well, I've never done that. I've never committed adultery. Well, Jesus says, if you look after a woman or woman looks after a man with lust in their hearts, you've already committed adultery. You see, what Jesus was doing was even the religious were like, well, we're keeping the letter of the law. We're checking all the boxes. And Jesus says, no, no, you're not getting it. It's not just checking the box. It's a heart issue. And before God, 
We were guilty in our sin. We were guilty because we broke his law. And then we read these words in Romans 5, 1. You see, in the first three chapters, Paul explains that the Jewish people, those that were in the Jewish religion, that's the primary, one of the primary groups he's writing to, they were guilty before God because of their sin. The Gentiles, anyone non-Jewish, they were guilty in their sin. And then he says in chapter three, the whole world is guilty in their sin. And we all know we've sinned. We all know that we've made mistakes. We don't always call it sin, but we know we are not perfect. Then in chapter four, he explains and establishes that our only hope is found not in works of righteousness or religion, but in faith. So in the first three chapters, the whole world is guilty. Chapter four, the only way to have a hope of forgiveness is in faith. We can place our faith in one of two places, either in our own works or goodness. But as we already addressed in chapters one through three, we have no intrinsic goodness. Or, thankfully, we can place our faith somewhere other than ourselves, and we can place that faith in the person of Jesus Christ, receiving the gracious gift of God unto salvation, not for ourselves to to boast in our own good works, but to boast in Christ. The moment we do this, this is when our position before God changes from guilty to innocent, completely cleansed, justified. Uh, I've heard it said, and maybe you've heard this, the word justified just means just as if I never sinned. It's not just, okay, I'm going to overlook your sin. It's as though you've never sinned. You are completely cleansed and washed clean. This is the powerful truth found in Romans chapter 4, verse 25, right before our verse we started with in Romans 5, 1. Romans 4, 25 says this. Who was delivered, this being Christ, for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. You see, Jesus was offered for our offenses. He died on the cross for our sin, but he rose again to justify us, to cleanse us. And that is why we have a peace with God, because Jesus paid the price. And our foundation is secure. You see, not only do we have peace with God and our position has changed from guilty to innocent, but our very foundation in Christ is secure. If you notice there in Romans chapter 5, and we won't read all of it, But Paul does not stop with merely telling us that we have peace with God through Christ. He doesn't stop there in verse 1. And he reveals in verses 2 through 11 that we have numerous blessings extended to us in Christ. You see, the peace with God that we've established is merely the foundation for our Christian lives. Now, because of the peace with God, I can fully enjoy, rest in Christ, fully be at peace in every aspect of who God is and who I am in him, because I know I have peace with him. I know I am not in division against him. I know I'm not an enemy of God's. I know I'm not at war with him. I don't have to worry about him cutting me loose or kicking me out. There's a peace that I have with God that is a guarantee, a promise sealed by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, when Jesus rose from the dead, that was the father's symbolic way of saying, I approve the sacrifice. It is done. It is finished. You don't have to fear or worry or stress. Is God going to forget about me? Is God going to kick me out? Am I doing enough? No, no, no. Your foundation is secure, not in you, but in Christ. You see, my salvation is not in question. Therefore, there is no more tension or fear. I am free because I have this foundation, because I have peace with God now and only now. 
do I have a peace within? Peace with God brings peace within. And I want to go to one more passage, and I want to look at this together. John chapter 14. So the Gospel of John, go back just a few pages. Page 757, if you're using a Bible provided. But John chapter 14 and verse 27. You see, through Christ's coming, sinless life, sacrificial death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, those who place their faith in Christ have peace with God, a secure foundation. Remember I mentioned before a little bit ago as you're turning there that, that we chase a lot of things to try to get peace. We chase a lot of things to try to have that peace. We chase our finances, our relationships, our careers, our possessions, all of these things. And I think I'm always amazed rather when I think about how quickly we forget how fragile those things are. Again, many of us chase finances in this country. It's just the American way, the American dream, right? Be financially secure, have a little house, a picket fence, a cabin, the whole nine, right? 2.5, 1.5 children, whatever that is. I've still yet to meet half a child, but whatever that looks like. We chase this stuff and we think with the false mindset that if I just get it, well, guess what? If the peace you receive from that stuff, it's momentary and it can be taken in an instant. Anyone that didn't realize that in 2008, maybe you realized it in 2020. Maybe you realized as finances and things started dropping and things changed, you went, oh wait, I was building my peace on this. Now that's taken away. Why am I so stressed? Because your peace wasn't in Christ, it was in you. And that's fragile. It can be broken. John chapter 14, one of my most loved Verses here. It's in a great book, the book of John. So, what an amazing name for a book. It's just a joke. Okay, um, it is a great book. That wasn't a joke, but the name. Any, moving on. So, verse 27. John 14 and verse 27. Listen to what Jesus says. And, let, and let's just pause and remember that Jesus said this. Like, this is the word of God. This is not my opinion. This is not my church's opinion. This is not religious opinion. This is the word of God. True. Guaranteed. Verse 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives, give I unto you. Listen now. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. The key I want to focus in on here is peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Listen. Not as the world gives. See, the world offers peace and all those things we just talked about. The world can offer these things, but it is not the same thing. Now, Jesus makes it clear in this passage, John 14, that when he says that he's giving us this peace, he's giving it to us in the person of the Holy Spirit. That at salvation, we receive the Spirit of God and that is the, the, the dwelling place of our peace. It's, it's reminded to us through the Spirit. You see, this peace within that we just read about is greater than the world can offer. At the time of Christ's birth, when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, historically, this is proven, the, the, the Roman Empire was at an unprecedented time of peace. And that just means there was no ongoing wars. They were not at battle with anyone. Which if you've studied history, especially history of the Roman Empire, you'll realize it is a very bloody history of a lot of wars and conquests and, and violence. But at this time... At the birth of Christ, they were experiencing a time of great peace. 
I have read and just kind of studying through this, that the gate to the temple of their Roman God, Janus, was closed. So they had a Roman God, a, a, an idol God that they worshipped, and this God was over their armies. And so when they were out battle and the war, the war was going on, they would open the gates of this temple. And what it symbolized was that their God was going forth to watch over their armies, to give them the victory. During the birth of Christ, these gates were closed, symbolizing a time of great peace. That in the land, there was great peace. And therefore, their God, their little G God, did not need to oversee their conquering armies. And while we do experience times of national or even political peace in our day and age, and this happens from time to time, what Christ offers is greater. We do offer or we do receive at times times of political or national peace. There are times we're not at war. There's times that things in the nation are pretty good. It's a time of peace. And yet this national or even political peace is a shadowy reality. It's a shadowy reality. It is fragile and able to be taken away in an instant. It's like when you were a child and you'd see that shadowy figure on the wall and you swore in the middle of the night it was something else. Then you click the light on and you realize, oh, it's nothing. It was just my imagination. It wasn't what I thought I was seeing. I wasn't really seeing. That is what's offered to us in the world in the way of peace. Man, it looks like it could be. It sounds good. And then the light comes on and you realize, oh, it's, it's just a shadowy figure. It's not really all that I thought it was. You see, the peace in Christ is greater than the world can offer. And the reason it's greater primarily, apart from being in Christ, which makes it great, is that it's an eternal peace. It's a peace that can never be taken away. I'll give you an example of this. The peace in the Roman world was short-lived. The gates of that temple were opened once again a little less than 70 years later after Christ's birth when the Roman, Roman Empire came in and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. See, within just a few years, those temple doors were flung open. And here comes the army to destroy the very temple of God. See, it's fragile. It's momentary. The peace we have with God is based on the finished work of Christ and not on the, the finicky feelings of human beings. It is eternal. It is not based on the temperament of some political leader or world leader. They can at the drop of a hat change his opinion, change his emotions. And now we're at war. There's division. There's chaos. So I have to ask you a question this morning. Are you walking, and you don't have to answer out loud, but are you walking in peace? Do you struggle with believing his peace is real in today's day and age? And I know that in recent weeks, things that have gone on in our very state and our very communities can cause us to question and challenge that. But this is where we remember that while, while people do evil things and we were, we, we, we were saddened by the tragedies that happen around us, we know that God is still on his throne. He is not shaken. He is not dismayed. And his peace is with us. And in the midst of tragedy, we speak love and hope and joy and the truth of Christ so that others in the midst of chaos and tragedy might receive this peace. Will you decide today? To let his peace rule in your heart and mind, not the temptation from the world to be stressed and filled with chaos, but to trust in a peace within because you have a trust, or I mean a peace with God. The people of God waited approximately 4,000 years. 
from the time that God promised to send one that could restore the broken relationship with God due to sin to the arrival of that small newborn baby in Bethlehem. With his arrival, he delivered a peace with God that is not based in our ability to be good or our circumstances, but in himself. An eternal peace within that leads to us not having mere happiness, which is superficial and can be shallow, but joy. Listen, God is not after your happiness. God is not consumed with your happiness. People have said that all the time. Would God really want me to not be happy? You see, God's not consumed with your happiness. He's all about your joy. And he gives you an offer, an invitation to have your sins forgiven and a joy that is deeper than you can imagine that is not based on circumstances, but based on the finished work of the cross. And I'm going to ask this. We're going to have our praise team come and they're going to lead us in a song of invitation. I want to ask you, are you you struggling with this peace this morning? Are you struggling to walk and live in peace and let his peace rule and reign in your heart and minds? Or are you letting the chaos in the world around us dictate to you and you're stressed? Listen, you can call out to him. In just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to come and bend a knee here at the altar or there in your seats and pray and ask God, God, restore to me an understanding of your peace. I want to live in peace. I don't want to be stressed anymore. I'm not going to be worried anymore. I'm going to trust you with an eternal peace because I have peace with you and peace within. Would you respond to that this morning? Secondly, if you don't know Christ, man, listen, I don't know your hearts and minds. I don't know where you've been. I don't know your religious background. All I know is that God loves you more than you can imagine. And that sin that you carry around, he's already paid a price for it. If you would just receive the free gift of salvation, your sins can be forgiven and you will spend eternity with him in heaven. But if not, if you choose not to receive him and it's your choice, he will not force his love upon you. He loves you so much. He lets you choose. And if you refuse his salvation and you refuse his gift of love and you decide to one day stand before God and answer for your own sins and say, I'll take care of it. I promise you from the word of God, there's only one payment that you will give. And that is eternal separation from God forever. You'll be cast from his presence, the Bible says, and cast into a place called hell. It's not a fear factor thing. It's not a scare tactic. It's truth. Religious works won't do it. Good works won't do it. There's nothing you can do to change the internal stain from sin that you carry. But Jesus, through the cross, the perfect son of God, the God-man, the lamb that was sacrificed for our sins, he can cleanse us and wash us. And so do you know Christ? And if you don't, will you receive him this morning? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. Just as you begin to pray right there in your seats as the band comes. Would you respond to what God is doing this morning? Again, maybe you know Christ. You've received him as your Lord and personal Savior, but maybe you've been living in in fear and worry. There's things that you're trying to control that you can't. Maybe there's things that you've tried to control and you're realizing more and more how little control you have. And that's causing you to be full of stress and fear, anxiety. You know, the Bible says in John 14, 27, let not your heart be troubled. The other way you could say that is let not your heart be anxious. And the cure for anxiety and having anxious feelings of stress in our lives is found later on in the book of Philippians when Paul says, be anxious for nothing. But in all things, through prayer and supplication, make your request or let your request be made known unto God. See, when we pray, 
and we cry out to him as followers of Christ, he will give us that reminder of his peace and the spirit of God will alleviate that anxious thought and we'll continue to just trust in him. It doesn't mean life isn't full of trials and struggles. We all have them. We all will have them and continue to have them. But when we're in the storm, his peace can rule and reign because he's with us, because we have peace with God. If you don't know Christ this morning, maybe you would receive him by just confessing your sins right there where you are in your heart between him and you. Receive the gift of salvation. Ask him to forgive you. Believe and repent and follow him. And he will grant you eternal life. Father, may you be glorified in all that has been said and done. Father, I pray that, that we would know these are not my words. My words are, are finite and weak and powerless. They do nothing for the eternal state of anyone in this room. But your words are living and active and can change the very standing from guilty to innocent, granting us that peace. Father, may you do the work that only you can do now. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we're led in a song of invitation? Whether they're in your seats or maybe you want to come and pray. As an individual, maybe as a family, a couple, mom and dad want to come and pray. And whatever it is, maybe you just respond to what God is doing as we respond and sing to him this morning.